What we're talking about is faith. Now, if you want a title, I would say rightly dividing faith because it is so large. What do we have to do? We have to take God's word. You know how it works. Isaiah 28, here a little, there a little, line upon line, and then you really start getting into it. That's only the beginning. And so that's what we're going to try to do. You can be turning to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, because and put a marker in there because we're going to keep going back to where we start because we want this thing to become full circle. And that's how God's word is. Every major precept of God, it goes full circle. Look at the universe out there. You know, if you look in one of those big telescopes and you look out there and you see all of these things, you know, all these squares and triangles and oblong, no, they're all round. Well, that's the way the plan of God works. You start here and you go through the process he gives you and you come back right here and then you start again. That's the way God works with us. It is an ongoing thing. I mean, what is eternity? It has no beginning. It has no end. Therefore, it has to be like a circle. In Hebrews 11, verse 1, Paul gives a very, very short and sweet, as I would say, definition of what faith is. And so let's read it. Verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. What do we hope for? We hope for the things that God has revealed to us. And in those are promises, right? Astounding promises. We do not understand them all. But we hope for those things. And then he says, and the conviction of things not seen. Well, King James says evidence. It is both. It is absolutely both. Because God gives us so much evidence by the things he has made and the things that he has done in creating us. He deliberately created us because he wanted us as his children in the kingdom of God. So, if we're going to be fully convicted, if we are going to go through what God is telling us, we have to have the conviction, yes. But in order to have that conviction, we have to look at the evidence that God gives us. And we'll get into that a bit. So that, that is the beginning. Yeah, as you notice, it basic two parts. That's all he gives us, two parts to this thing called faith. Well, we're going to try to open up each part by going to the process that God has and has been working with each one of us for salvation. Isn't that our goal? Isn't that what God showed us shortly after he called us? Huh. You know, it was like that when we were first called. 
And then we began to learn a little more and a little more until we became convicted it was true and we could look into the Word of God and we became convicted it was true. It was literally the Word of God. It wasn't the Word of men. So all those things, you see, and they're starting to come together in a process. Well, so we're going to look at how God has worked with us and how he intends to work with all men eventually. And we'll get into why us now and them, hopefully. You never know where we end up. But let's, let's start in Jude 1. And what does he say in the first verse? He says, We are sanctified by the Father. And then he adds, And we are kept in Christ. Well, what does that mean? How does that go together? How did it come about? Well, we know that we're sanctified by God. We're told right there, and we're told elsewhere. But what is, what is being sanctified by God? Well, in his eyes, he makes us righteous. God cannot live outside of righteousness. And therefore, he sanctifies us, but how does he do it? Through Christ. And part of that is through Christ's blood. Now, that is major. That's what, why Christ had to come here below and suffer as he did. And he was willing to do that, even though he hated what he had to go through as a human being. And he was a human being when he did that. And so he had the reactions that we do. You see something, and he knew. He knew what he was going to have to go through. And that weighed very, very heavy on him. That's why it is so important to read there the night before he had to die in his prayer to the Father. He says, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. Now, you've all read those. There in whichever account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, that's how he felt. And yet he said right after he said the first part, he said, not my will, your will, Father. Now, you bring that back to us. He has also called us directly, personally, Ephesians 4. He says... He has personally called us. And then he goes on to say so many other significant things we need to realize so that we can do what he did when he opened our mind. When we hear from the Father, we have to become convicted if it's going to lead to what God wants and why he called us. All right, now we'll, we'll expand on that as we we go here. Let's turn over to uh, John, uh, the sixth chapter, to expand what Jude is saying, to make it clear. What does he say in, in verse 44? In verse 44, of course, Christ speaking, when he was here below as a human being, he says, no one, not a 
No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Then he, then he makes a statement, and this is so often in the Word of God. All right, nobody can come to me, Christ says. All you people out there that think that you have found me, and you just walk right up and say, hello. No, doesn't work that way. All right? And then he says, he who sent me draws him. That's the Father. Then he says, and I will raise him up at the last day. What did I talk about circles? He then jumps clear ahead. After our period of going around that circle has been completed, and we have become a literal son or daughter of God. Well, that you see how it works. It starts with the Father, and then he gives us to Christ. And Jude says, kept in Christ. You bet we are. Who is Christ? He is our good shepherd, right? He is shepherding us. He is our tutor. He is our teacher. And he is our savior. That's how we're kept in Christ. And so you can go from the simple and expand it, and it becomes that much more meaningful. Let's look at 45. And we'll see how this process works that we have gone through and are still going through. In 45, it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Here again is just like he did in verse 44. He jumps ahead and he makes this statement about the future. When are men going to be? Are they all being taught now by God? Well, of course not. They have not been called. It has to start with how God determined it would work. All right? So, right there. Then he says, Therefore, now we get back to present. Therefore, everyone who has heard from the Father, verse 44, when he draws us, opens our mind, Everyone who has heard from the Father and has learned. Well, that can mean a number of things. But right here, in, in going through the process of, of how we got to where we were in absolute covenant with God, learn. What happened after you were called? You should remember those things, and I'm sure you probably do. We had to pick up on what God was showing us. He had parted the veil. And part of that was then that we could read the Bible in part. It started very small, right? But we could read the scriptures that, we were, that were broadcast to us. And we could say, well, what do you know? Because we'd never read them that way. We hadn't read them with that full inner conviction and the understanding that has to come from God. Well, Christ said, you can't come to me unless the Father draw you and part that veil. So that had happened when you were called. So you begin to see things and hear things that you did not before. Let me back up just a second here. At this point, when you were called and you begin to hear these things, 
And you, you didn't turn and run away, or you would not be listening today. You would not be here today. Not where you are. You'd be out doing whatever. And when did he give us to Christ, you see? Well, that's right there. When we saw enough, we became convicted that it was true. It was of God. We were being dealt with. We didn't know all the different ways. And so I know how it struck me. It was like suddenly I was in the presence of God. It's like I could feel him. And then the person speaking revealed who Christ was. Now, you see, before we could come to Christ and be given to Christ, we had to come to know him. We had to be able to know who he was. How are you going to have faith in anybody that you do not know? Well, you get to know them. All right, so right here in verse 46, no one has seen the Father except he who is from God. Oh, yes, we have Christ now. And we have just learned that he is the God of the Old Testament. That was phenomenal. That was major. I know how it struck me. But now we find out all of a sudden, we, we go on, we continue. We did not know the Father either. And what does he say right here in verse 46? No one has seen the Father except me except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Well, you go back to Matthew 18, verse 27. What does Christ say there? He says the same thing. He says, well, he, he, he re-quotes verse 44 briefly. He says, no one knows me. No one can come to me. And then he says, no one knows the Father either. And we didn't. No one knows the Father. We didn't know Christ. We didn't know the Father. And now we have learned of Christ and we've learned enough that we believe. But now the Father, Christ says, the one that I will personally Reveal him too. That's what Christ says in Matthew eleven twenty seven. Well, what do you know? Now we, we have that. Now let's turn back a page in John 6. We're in verse 33. Christ here, he's talking to the Pharisees. And you know what the Pharisees thought of Christ. They hated him because he was, they perceived enough because of the preaching of John the Baptist, they perceived that this man was a threat to their authority. And that is one main reason at that time that they hated him. And they determined they had to get rid of him, which they eventually did. But, so right here, Christ, and we'll say, uh, start in 33 of John 6. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
Well, he's talking of himself standing there before them. And they didn't, they just didn't, well, they didn't put it together yet. Therefore, the people, some of them, they said to him, Lord, give this bread to us always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me shall never hunger, and the one who believes in me shall never thirst at any time. What did he bring up? And I've mentioned it already. But it is another element of this plan, of the ingredients, the substance that God gives to us that we can know him and his son and believe to where we can go forward and eventually become his literal sons and daughters. Well, in belief, belief and faith. We're talking about faith. We're trying to understand how it works. But you cannot separate belief and faith because we could not have faith unless we believed first. The belief part had to come first. That's why God showed us things. That's why Christ then began to show us more things until we were, what? The second part of, of Paul's definition. Until we became convicted. We knew now that God was. Well, we may have believed that before. But we did not fully understand it because we didn't know them. And we didn't know how they were going to work with us and work with all of mankind. Therefore, we had to believe. And we got convicted. And what did we do? We then understood we had to enter covenant with God and Christ in order to go forward, in order to be a part of these things, we'd already heard some of the promises. And we says we wanted to be baptized. Now, a minister in those days, this was back in the 60s for me, that's several decades ago. And the ministry, they felt our salvation was on their shoulders and so they did things. So they would mention, well, what about, well, if you didn't bring it up, then, well, have you thought about baptism? And I said, well, yes, I have. I hadn't mentioned it yet. But I says, yes, I have. And so, well, are you ready? Well, they, they had a little short counseling. And then, yes, it's going to happen. It's going to happen Saturday night out at Jim Doak's garage where a big horse tank was and so that was where it would be it would happen well they had to dip me twice Sid Cloud was the one that dipped me and there were some others there going to be baptized and uh, so he dipped me down and my foot came up <laughs> and somebody said nope nope didn't take. It didn't take. Well, okay. Well, so he dipped me again, and I made sure I kept my foot down. So they came out, and they laid their hands up on me. And that's when what? That's when God said, I give you the Holy Spirit. 
Now, did he, did it overwhelm me? It, you know, to where I couldn't get up on my feet again? No. You didn't really feel anything different, and you didn't see fire come down and land on your shoulder. Well, no, it starts small. Like everything with God, it starts small. But what does it do? It grows, and it grows, and it grows. If in your heart, when you went into that watery grave, you were convicted. And that's what we had to be. And that's what everybody else eventually will have to be before they too can have salvation. So it, it, it is a, a tremendous thing. But there's another thing that I should mention right here. In Ephesians 2.8, in Ephesians 2.8, Paul says, For by grace, God's mercy and God's love you have been saved. Now look how he look how he talks here. It's as if it's already done. We've already been saved. Well, God has, if we have done the right things that he has shown us, and we are walking in faith, then in God's eyes, we're already saved unless we turn and go the other way. So he looks at it as done. And uh, we'll see that again in, the, in closing here. All right? So then he says, By grace you have been saved. How? What we're talking about. Through faith. Through faith we are saved. And then what does he say? This especially is not of your own self. It is the gift of God. Now, the Holy Spirit is the gift of God also. But that's when it's given to us. The Holy Spirit is the power of God. And it's not a gift to us until he gives it to us. Well, when did he do that? He said he would do that when we got baptized and had hands laid on. And when we were convicted, and we were convicted in our heart. All right. So there we are. It has to be given. So when did we receive faith? It's a gift. It comes from God. Well, it had to be right at that time. Right at that time. Because what, what does it say in Romans 6 about baptism? When we come up out of that water, we are to do what? That is the whole thing that which we have to go through. We have to walk in newness of life. How are you going to walk in newness of life, following, obeying Almighty God, if you don't have faith? He had to give it to us then, if we were going to do anything, and to take that little bit of faith that he gave us and begin to walk in faith. That's how we walk in newness of life. See how God's plan works? It is a process. I've said that before, and it absolutely is a process. Not because I said, because it's the way God is working with us. Okay? And you still got, I hope, uh, Hebrews 11, Mark, a marker there. 
because in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, what does Paul say? Now, without faith, and this is backing up exactly what I've said, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Exactly. I, I've, just, I've already said that, I guess. And here we go. It is mandatory for the one who comes to God to believe. And here we have belief again. So we got faith, we got belief, we have conviction, all of these things and more, because they come from God. And when God personally drew us, opened our mind, he knew why he was doing that. He wanted us he wanted us for a special purpose. He didn't just want us as a water boy. He has a purpose for us. And therefore, but the one who comes to God has to believe that he exists, and we do. But we not just believe he exists. We know, we know it but as fact. That's where conviction comes in. And that's what we're going to get into now in the second part of his definition, you see. You have to be convicted or you can't go forward. And you have to have faith or you don't know how to go forward. Okay? So you ha we have to piece the parts together. And we have to believe that he is a rewarder of those who, how? Well, you just kind of come to Sabbath services if there is any available. Week by week, no. He says diligently, diligently. And all of the writing of the apostles and Christ, what Christ uttered when he was here below. Diligence is involved. It is, it is the essence of what Christ wants, how he wants us to respond to him. It must be with diligence. Well, let's look up to verse 1 again. Well, let's, let's say the first part. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, and we've covered that. So I like to look at that first part as faith is the underlying foundation that gives us full hope in what God promises. I mean, how, how are we going to hope for it if we don't believe what he said? And so belief comes up again. The second part now, the conviction of things not seen. Well, what haven't we seen? Because there's a lot of evidence that we can see, and we will touch on that. We will touch on it. It, it is astounding. We did not see. We can look out and we can see the things God created in the natural world. But did we see him do it? Can we see God? No, we can't see God. We can't see Christ. And yet we're fully convicted that they exist. And we're so convicted that we know it as fact. Well, that's 
God's doing, working in us through his process and through faith. It's all through faith because we believe it. Not having seen those parts, but there is evidence. So in the second part now that we're working in, let's look at verse 3 right here in 11 of Hebrew. By faith, we understand. Yes, you see, we understand that the worlds were created by the word of God. We didn't see him do it, but we believe it by faith. Okay? So that the things that are not seen were made from the things that are invisible. Yes. Yes. Let, let's go to Romans. Chapter 1. Chapter 1 of Romans. Verse 18. Because we're being confronted with this right now in a way that we have not been before in our lifetime. We're being confronted by it. He says, indeed, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, and it will be upon all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That is literally what is going on around us. And it's getting so heavy well, we become grieved, and yet we do not falter because we have faith. Again, it's by faith. Because that which may be known of God is manifest among men, for God has manifested it to them, and he has in so many, many astounding ways. And I, I, I will, we will get this, some scriptures that really do talk about that. And then he says, for the invisible things of him, verse 20, are perceived from the creation of the world, being understood by the things which were made. Now, isn't that evidence? That is evidence. And we can see that. So that's another way we become Convicted, right? Once you know God, then you look out there, there and they begin to talk about this thing and that thing and how it evolved. Because they believe Karl Marx and all of his brown shirts. And they, and they tell us a lie, an absolute lie. They take God out of what we see. They say, no, no, it just happened. You know, it it, it, and there was this big bang, and it happened. Well, we'll see how it happened. It's perceived from the creation of the world, being understood by the things that were made, both his eternal power and Godhead, so that mankind is without excuse. They're without excuse. It's all around them. It's astounding. But they reject it. Because they want to do their own thing. And they want to do it their way. And they want to do it in their time frame. Isn't that what's going on? Isn't that why men are running to and fro all over the earth? Oh, I got to see this and I got to see that and I got to go there. Well, that's part of it. And so much more. So much more. 
And then he says, because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. That's denying his Godhead. That's denying his power and glory. And God has glory. And any time we submit to God, believing and doing what he told us, we are adding to that glory. And that's not from us. Why? We're doing that because of faith. And where did faith come from? It came from God. So it's not of us. But we believe and we do because of faith. But mankind is truly without excuse. But they became vain in their own reasoning and their foolish hearts were darkened. And they became cannon fodder for Satan the devil. And they've all died except the ones alive now. But the same thing will happen to the ones that are alive today except for those that God will. He says, I'm going to cut it short. It means I'm going to not let it go as long as it would be before mankind would destroy themselves because he wants seed for the millennium. And that's another whole subject. Let's go to um, Psalm 33. This really is getting to what uh, I wanted to. Uh, Psalms 33. Now we've heard and gone over some of this about the creation. It's astounding, God's creation. I wish I could take you all up on that high mountain ridge in the San Juan range of, uh, in Colorado on a beautiful day and to look out there across the mountain range after mountain range and these beautiful valleys filled with all of beautiful plants and trees that God created. That's where it came from. And that shows the glory of God. In verse 6 of Psalms 33, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He breathed, and it was so. It existed. Now, how do you like that? What kind of power does that show? Only the power of God, not of some so-called scientist that says it evolved. He gathered the waters of the sea together like a heap, putting the depths in storehouses. What do you think he has in mind with that? He put them in storehouses. Well, he's got something in mind. There's all of eternity out there. Think about it. He says, let all the earth fear the Lord and let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of God. We of all people should do that and be able to do that because of what God has done in us. And he did it all. Now we had to respond. Yes, indeed, that's our part. But he did it. He started it. 
He is going to finish it in us if we do not turn back. He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Unless you're in L.A., when's the last time when you were standing, the ground began to go like this? <laughs> well, maybe the people in L.A. need a waking up. But no, it stands fast. What does the sun do? It goes around the, well, <laughs> the earth turns on its axis so that every 24 hours, it's done that since he created it, right? Now, all of that also is going to change somehow. We do not understand exactly how. But it, it, it continues because God said it will until I change it. So, I want to I want to close here and I want to go to another Psalm 139. Now, this is a very emotional Psalm. So, pardon me if I stutter. I'm only going to cover four verses here, but it gets it gets back to what we have been trying to understand here together. And that's what this is all about. We're trying to understand. So in verse 13, what does David say? He says, For you, O God, have possessed my reins. You have knit me. You have knit me together in my mother's womb. God can do that. He has done that. If us and all other human beings knit us together. And David says, I will praise you for I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Now we get back to evidence that we saw in the second part. And by conviction, we look at these words and we know they're the word of God, right? And this is how God does things. This is what he did with us and he would, and for all mankind in creating them. And one day, he has the power to raise them up in the eighth day. And that is something absolutely marvelous and wonderful. And David says, your works are marvelous, and my soul knows it very well. See the conviction that David had? That's why he could make mistakes and bounce back, because he had that conviction. My And this verse 15, my substance was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and intricately formed in the lower part of the earth, the mother's womb, our mother's womb. And then he, he doubles down on that. He says, your eyes did not see my substance. No, that's when the sperm united with the egg by mighty power, mighty power. How many votes? 400. 480,000. 480,000. Instantaneous. 
Right. Instantaneous. Instantaneous. That is God that did that. And yet, at that moment, we became an individual to God. We were not formed yet, but he could see what we would be in nine months. Then he could see if we walked forward after he called us, what we would become. He can, That's God's power. And that's something. That is the... Th- That is the power of the God we serve. And why do we serve him? Because he gave us faith and we can believe. Well, I want, I want to just briefly say one thing. I found a picture sorting some of my old scriptural files. I don't know how I got it, but it was a picture of a doctor operating on a woman so that he could operate on the baby. So he had to do a cesarean. The baby had something. They said, it will not go full term unless there's this operation. And the one doctor says, I can do it. So they let him go forward. And the picture shows after he had carefully did the cut for opening the mother's tummy so that he could get at the fetus. Oh, it's just a fetus. No, it was a baby. And it was about five months old, not quite. Four months to go to full term. But it was a baby. And this this picture shows it. Because after he had done that, he's still holding the knife in his right hand and he's holding the incision open like this and his one finger's out there and this little arm, this little arm comes up about that high and you could see four fingers and a thumb and they were gripped around that doctor's finger like that. And that doctor said he froze. He could not move for over a full minute and continue with the operation. He was so overcome. This five months, we'll call it, fetus that they say is not life yet. Now you should understand how God hates abortion. It is absolutely insidious. The callousness of man. But we have seen the glory of God and we have faith that he will bring us to full glory with him. So brethren, I'm out of time. Uh, I will end with that.